Hello, and welcome to the Church 860 podcast. My name is Pastor Chris, and I'm the lead pastor of Church 860 located in Westerville, Ohio. Our podcast will have daily episodes uploaded where we have curated some of the best Bible teaching from across the globe. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for prayer. God, just how much you love us, Lord, that you hear us, as you you incline your ear to us, and you are listening now. Set our hearts in this time. Teach us your ways, O God. Thank you for your word, the, the sword of the Spirit. I pray that you would bless this time. I pray that we would hear in these words how much you love us. Pray that you would rightly, help me to rightly divide your word. And God, that all of us would leave this place loving you more. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to split the the chapter in half. We'll do half this week and half next week. Um, And this is just a wonderful chapter. I would encourage you, yes, we're only teaching it two Sundays, but you could spend a long, long time in this chapter just soaking it in, abiding in it. As you can see by the screen up there, this is chapter 17 of John. It's called The High Priestly Prayer by most commentators. This is Jesus praying. And, and so there is so much to glean here, and there's so much to, to think about. This is Jesus, our Savior, praying for his disciples. And as we get into it next week, this is Jesus, our Savior, praying for us here, now in this place. You and me, praying for us specifically 2,000 years ago as he lifted up these words. Just a fantastic chapter to soak in, to think about, to, to meditate on, and to, to just hang out in. I encourage you, spend time in chapter 17 of John. It is part of, if you want to call it that, part of the um, upper room discourse from chapters 14 through 17. They're all kind of one conversation. Jesus headed toward the Garden of Gethsemane where he's about to be betrayed, about to be arrested, uh, sent to trial, mocked, spit upon, crushed for us. And it says early on that he loved his disciples to the end, and he spent the last three chapters teaching them, pouring into them, instructing them. In fact, he's given them so much that it takes three chapters in the book of John, yet he says in chapter 16, I have more to tell you. Now we know he's going to the cross, so the conversation will continue with the Holy Spirit residing in their hearts. He continues to instruct through the, the power of the Spirit. But he does what any good leader does, and Jesus, of course, being the example, is the best leader. He instructs, and then he prays. He teaches, and then he lifts them up to the Father. And as you lead, that's what I would encourage you to do as well. I would like to call this the Lord's Prayer. Now, when I say the Lord's Prayer, most of us go back to, or we know of the prayer spoken of or taught of from the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, where Jesus taught his disciples to pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You know that prayer. And that is Jesus teaching his disciples how to pray. We call that the Lord's Prayer. 
Truly, this is the Lord's Prayer. This chapter is Jesus in His words speaking to the Father. This is the prayer of the Lord. And as we follow in His ways, we have uh, become Christians. We have decided to follow Jesus. We want to live in His example. I would encourage you, as you have disciples, let them see you pray. Let them hear you pray. There's, there's no greater gift. C.H. Spurgeon, one of my favorite teachers, he said it, and I think I quoted it last week as well. There is no greater gift that uh, any of you could give me than to tell me that you're praying for me and to actually pray for me. Spurgeon said the same. I say, and I affirm that. I, I, there's nothing better that you can do than to pray for me. And so I would encourage, let your disciples hear you pray. Let them see you pray. Husbands, Let your wives hear you pray for them. Wives, moms, let your kids hear you pray for and over them. Dads, same. Pour into your kids through the power of prayer. Lay your hand on their shoulder and pray a blessing over your kids. There's no greater gift you can give them. Let them hear you pray. Instruct and pray. Instruct and pray in the model of Jesus in these chapters. All right, let's get into the text. John 17, verse 1. It says, Jesus spoke these words, that being his teaching. He lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you. And so he spoke the words, he completed his teaching, and now he's going to take his attention from those 11 men that he's standing there with and lift his eyes to heaven and pray. Interesting. Lift. When I said, let's pray, right before we got into John chapter 17, I kind of took a look just to make sure the majority of you, in fact, I think all of you, when I said, let's pray, you went, you closed your eyes and you bowed your head. Interesting. Where do we get that from? Well, it's in the Word, but not near as much as it is when somebody prays they lift their eyes. Nine times to one, as prayer is introduced, it's, I lift my eyes to heaven. I lift my eyes, I lift my eyes, I lift my eyes. And then once in every nine times, I bowed my head, I bowed my heart. I understand, it's a a sign of reverence. It's kind of us shutting out the world and closing our eyes and, uh, yes, Lord, I want to focus on you. It is a a, a sign of uh, appreciation and reverence. But try the other. Just maybe when when we close in prayer today, if you remember 45 minutes from now, instead of bowing your head to pray, lift your eyes. Try it. You're going to feel weird. Those of you that are used to the posture of prayer, it's going to be like, oh, this doesn't feel right. But just try it. It's nine times to one. It's the way it's mentioned in the Scripture. Jesus lifts His eyes to heaven. He says, Father, the hour has come. The hour He speaks of, of course, is the the pinnacle hour. It's the most important hour in history. The, The hour of the cross, the hour of redemption has come. All of the, the, the Scriptures prior to this were waiting for this moment. All of the scriptures in the New Testament after this point back to this hour. This is 
by law and large, the most important hour in the history of the world, this hour of the cross. Does it mean a literal 60 minutes? No. Talking about this time, the hour has come. Have you been there? Have you been waiting for the hour? Have you waiting for a moment where, where you, you knew you were in, t- in anticipation of something, something in your life you were either looking forward to or dreading? You knew that your hour was coming. Probably the, the, the best example is, and some of the kids just went through this, the last day of school, right? You get to school and you're like, oh man, it's only six hours till 2.30, and you watch that clock all day long, and you are waiting for the hour when the, when the school bell rings at 2.30, and you know summer begins, or 3.10, or whenever it was for you, and you're like, I can't wait for this hour. School is starting, and then you blink, or, or school is ending, and then you blink, and then school is starting, right? Because <laughs> summer's over. It happened that quickly. We, time slows down almost as we wait for that hour. As we dread for, or if it's something that we're dreading, it, it, it slows down. Oh, let's just get it done with. Jesus says, his hour has come. The clock began in Genesis chapter 3. The moment sin entered into the world, they had been waiting for this hour, the hour of redemption. Many times in Jesus' ministry, he said, my hour has not yet come. Now he clearly says it has come. In John chapter 2, verse 4, in 7, 8, in 7, 30, in 8, 20, all in the chapter of John, he says, no, 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 no. My hour is not yet. My hour is not yet. My hour is not yet. Now he says, this is the time. Now it, it, it is here. The hour has come. And what does he say next in verse 1? Glorify your son that your son may also glorify you. Glorify your son. Think of where Jesus is headed. He's headed to the the Garden of Gethsemane. He's about to be arrested. He's about to uh, be mocked. He's going to go through some false trials. He's going to have his beard ripped out. He's going to get spit upon. He's going to get punched. They're going to press a crown of thorns onto his head. They're going to strap him over a a log and they're going to rake his back open. They're going to lay him down and pin him to a cross and elevate him. That's a, that's, think about crucifixion. That's not a moment of glory. That's an embarrassing thing. It's a a, a, a humiliation. The, 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 The torture of the cross was meant to humiliate and encourage others not to sin in the way the one on the cross had sinned. But Jesus's cross is different. It is a moment of glory. Through this act, through this sacrifice, our Savior is glorified. How so? Well, because by the sacrifice that Jesus is making, redemption is purchased, and sinful man has the opportunity for fellowship with a holy God once again. So God is glorified. Jesus is glorified in what would normally be humiliating. To define the word glorify, Jesus says glorify your son. What does that mean? It means to declare the worthiness of, to declare the worship. The word worship comes from worthship. It's declaring what is worthy, something that is worthy. That's what worship means. And glorify means very much the same thing, to declare the worthiness of. And so Jesus is saying in this hour, glorify your son. 
He's asking the Father to glorify himself. His hope is, and, and, and truly it is, that in this hour of sacrifice, that the Father would declare the sacrifice as sufficient or worthy as he sees Jesus pay the price and go to the cross, the Father says, you are worthy. That is a sufficient sacrifice for the remission of sin. Don't hear Jesus being self-centered in this moment. He's not like, hey, Dad, glorify me. Let me have the attention here for a moment. His hope is, and he says that in verse 1, his hope is this, that through the glorification of the Son on the cross, that the Father would receive glory as well. All of Jesus' life, all that he is, is about the glory of the Father, bringing praise and honor and glory to the Father. And through the price on the cross, the Father is glorified. The Father is glorified. How so? Well, because what the cross did is it bought my salvation. It bought your salvation. And through the cross, the sacrifice that was made, which was sufficient for the remission of sin, you and I come into eternity, and for all of eternity, those who have placed their faith in Christ will glorify the Father. Through the the sacrifice of the cross, we glorify the Father for all of eternity. All uh, uh, Jesus' hope was to glorify the Father with all of his life. And that should be our hope for our lives as well. All of our life should be about glorifying him. May all that we do be for the glory of the Lord. Listen to this. I said, may all that we do be for the glory of the Lord. Any other pursuit for your life is too small. Anything else you decide to do with your life that isn't glorifying to God is too small for you. Leave it behind. The only thing that will enter into all of eternity is the glory of the Father, is glorifying Jesus, is praising His name. Those are the things that are everlasting. Stop pursuing things that will fade away in this world. Spend your life glorifying the Father. Anything else you do is too small for your life. Verse 2. As you have given him authority over all flesh, as you, the Father, have given him, Jesus, authority over all flesh, that he, Jesus, should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. This is an important verse. Jesus has the authority given by the Father over all flesh. You hear that? Jesus has the authority given to him by the Father over all flesh. All flesh. All flesh. How much? All. Good. Okay, we we got it. Right. All flesh. All means all. That's all all means. All flesh. My flesh. Your flesh. Their flesh. Our flesh. His flesh, her flesh, their flesh from years ago, their flesh from years future. God has, Jesus has the authority over all flesh. Given to him by the Father. 
all of humanity will at one point bow their knee and confess with their mouths that He is Lord. There is a moment in time when all flesh that has been ever been created will bow their knee and confess that Jesus is Lord. The question is, will you be forced to do it in that day? Or are you willingly doing it now? All flesh will bring Him glory. To those who bow their knee now, to those who confess with their mouth that He is Lord now, is the gift of eternal life. He says in verse 3, And this is eternal life, that you may know, that, I'm sorry, that they may know you, that they may know you, the, one, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is eternal life, that they may know you. What is that? That word there, know, is gnosko, and it's an interesting word. It means to know intimately. It's not just a knowledge of or a general knowledge of something. It's to know intimately. Let me try to put it in a word picture for you. The idea is, um, well, when, and I'll try to be careful because I know there's some younger people in here, but just bear with me for a minute. When a, a Jewish couple got married and they consummated the marriage, are you with me? When they consummated the marriage, then that, they would say in those days, that couple knows one another right? They, they know each other intimately. In fact, if you are married, you have an intimate knowledge of another person that you don't have a, of anybody else in this world. You have a, a relationship with your spouse that is different than everybody else in the world. It's an intimate knowledge, a knowledge that's based on the consummation of your marriage and, and the act therein that, that makes that relationship different. The word here is very similar, that we would know God in the same way, not in a consummate type of way, but in an intimate type of way. To have a, a knowledge of Him that we only gain through that, that sweet fellowship of a bride and her husband. That kind of know, that is eternal life. The only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. It's interesting that he says Jesus Christ. Just so we're all clear here and we all know, Christ is not his last name. (laughs) Hello, my name is Jesus Christ. No. Christ is not Jesus' last name. Christ is what he has done for us. The word Christ means Savior. The word Christ means Messiah, the one who comes and saves His name is Jesus. And so he says, and just to read it again in verse 3, this is eternal life, that they may know you, intimately know you, the only true God, and Jesus, the one whom saved, Jesus the Messiah, whom you have sent. The way that we know intimately the Father is through the Messiah who has come on our behalf. John 14, 6. goes back to the beginning of the, the, the upper room discourse. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father. No one knows the Father but by me. And so the way we know him is through, through the, the saving of the Christ. Verse 4 says, I have glorified you on earth. 
He's making it personal now. Up until this point, he spoke of himself in the third person. Now he, he makes it personal. Remember, all of this is a prayer. I have glorified you on earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. Jesus wonderfully completes the work that he has been given to do. I don't know. I, I'm not that guy. <laughs> I don't know about you guys. I, I, when you've got the honeydew list, do you complete it? So, some of you do, and well done. I'm not that guy. I'll give you an example. We moved into our house nine years ago. My wife has her uh, cosmetology license, and so I built her a little um, salon down in the basement. You know, nice countertop, the, the hair washing sink, put the chair in, painted it. We put in can lights, and we put on you know, sconces, and real pretty room. Nice little shelves, and just a real peaceful, intimate setting, and, and it's nice. Nine years ago, I did that. <laughs> it still has no baseboards. <laughs> In fact, if you go through the majority of my house, there, there are no baseboards. <laughs> I, I guess I have an aversion to baseboards. I'm not real sure. <laughs> but if one of you are gifted in baseboards and would like to exercise the gifting of your installation of baseboards, you are welcome to at said house. <laughs> So it, I don't finish. Jesus finished. I have finished the work that you have given me to do, he says in verse 4. I have completed it. Jesus perfectly fulfilled all that the Father had given him to do. He lived a sinless life so that he could be a, a lamb without blemish. The, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He fulfilled all the requirements of the law. He lived a perfect and righteous life. He fulfilled all of the Old Testament prophecies about the first coming of the Messiah. He, he filled those perfectly. He had loved his disciples to the end. He had commanded them to go forth in love. And now his hour had come. And he's not going to shrink down from this hour. The work that would be completed, and he will rightly cry, It is finished. He will rightly cry, it is finished. I have finished the work you have given me to do. I have glorified you on earth. Verse 5. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Remember, Jesus was with the Father from the beginning. They are eternal. Jesus, God the Father, the Holy Spirit, one God for all eternity. When Jesus came to earth, what did he do? He set aside his glory. He took on the limitations of man. He set aside his glory for the benefit of you and I. He became like us. Without sin. He became like us without sin that we might behold His glory. And so now that the work is finished, He wants His glory back, that which He had to set aside. Oh, Father, glorify me together with Yourself. I'd like to have that glory back. The same glory as that of the Father. You know what? For you students of the Word, this is a great proof text that Jesus is God. This verse, verse 5, is a great proof text that proves Jesus was not a created being. He's not an archangel that was um, elevated to the position of Messiah. Jesus is God. 
How do we know this? Because God will not share his glory with anyone. God will not share his glory with anyone. Isaiah chapter 42, verse 8 says, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carve images. It says in Isaiah chapter 48, verse 11, For my own sake I will do it, for how should my name be profaned, and I will not give my glory to another. God the Father does not share his glory with another, yet Jesus is saying, I want my glory back, the same glory that you and I had when we were from all time and eternity. That proves Jesus is God, because God won't share his glory with another. And so, yet Jesus had that glory in the past. And so that proves that Jesus is not a created being. He is God. He says in verse 6, I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me. And they have kept your word. Jesus said, I've manifested your name to these men, these disciples. And I, as he's praying for them, and he's lifted his eyes up to them. I just think for maybe just for a moment as he's praying and, and, and speaking to the Father that he looks down at, and looks into the eyes of these 11 guys that he has poured into for the past three years. They've done everything together. They, every meal they've eaten together. That when they laid their heads down at night, it was in the same room. They lived with one another. He knows these guys intimately. And he says, I've manifested your name to these men. What does it mean to manifest? It means to, to make actual. I, I've made your name actual to these men. I've made it visible. They have realized it. That's what it means to make manifest. How about this? To make known by teaching. To manifest means to make known by teaching. And, and that's what he's done. He's poured into them. He's taught them about the Father. I've manifested your name. I love what Chuck Smith says about this verse. He says, God is not his name. God is not his name. God is his designation. Lord is not his name. Lord is his title. His name is Yahweh or Jehovah. And so how did Jesus manifest his name? The name Jesus itself is a contraction of the Hebrew Yehovah Shua or Yahshua, which means Jehovah is salvation. Jehovah is salvation. Jesus said, I have manifested your name. He bore the name of the eternal God, the name Yeshua, which means Jehovah is salvation. So even in the name given him, Jesus, he is saying, Jehovah is salvation. And he is, Jesus is that salvation on our behalf. I have manifested your name to these men. And it's interesting, he says, um, they were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. They, they have known your word is what he means. Oh, I'm sorry, in verse 7, sorry, reading verse 7. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. Now they've known all things that you have given me are from you. And that's what they claimed, as we read back in 30 of last chapter, in 1630. It said, these are, the, these are the disciples speaking, Now we are sure that you know all things, and have no need that anyone should question you. By this we believe that you came forth from God. 
So they, in their own words, in their own mouth, say, we know that you are God. We are confident that you are God, that you know all things, and no one should question you. It's interesting, Jesus' response, and we, we mentioned it last week, it's, it almost sounds like it's a little bit tongue-in-cheek. Oh, whoa, now, now you know. Now you know. But by Jesus' declaration in verse 7, they did know. They did understand. Now we know by the time they get to the garden, they're not going to know anymore. They're not going to remember. They're going to forget. They're going to scatter. That's okay. God is going to bring them back. But in this moment, as he is praying for them, they do know. They understand. Verse 8. For I have given, them, I have given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them, and have, surely, and have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. That's so beautiful. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. How wonderful is it that the one who created us from dirt is praying for us. He's praying. Jesus is praying for us. And we're going to read it next week. I've already mentioned it, but he's praying for you right now. He's interceding on our behalf in this moment. Romans chapter 7, or sorry, chapter 8, verse 34. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who makes intercession for us. He prays for us. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. The one who created us is praying for us. How amazing is that? How beautiful is that? You know, it does say, uh, Jesus says, I do not pray for the world. Is that because he doesn't have a concern for the world? No. It's just in this moment, he's praying for his disciples. And he's focused on that. Ten. And all mine are yours. And all yours are mine. Nothing comes between the Father and the Son. And I, have, I am glorified in them. Now, I am no longer in the world, but these are, these are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. Ah, oh, Lord, thank you. Jesus is going home. And I almost sense in his words here a, a longing to, to be with that again to have that intimacy that, that he had to set aside his glory for, for a time. And I almost hear in these words, I, I, I'm coming to you. I get to come home. Have you felt that? You know that feeling? Maybe the first time you went to camp, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday are right on, and they're rocking, and they got you flying, and you're doing a hundred different things, and you don't think about home at all. But by Thursday night, when things quiet down, usually around the campfire, you're like, ah, I kind of miss mom and dad. I kind of miss being at home. I think in this moment, now that his hour has come, not in a sinful way at all, just a, a longing in his voice. I'm ready to come home. But he's praying for them, and he says, these are in the world. Speaking of his disciples, speaking of you and I, these are in the world. You know, it, 
It's, it's, kinda, it's too bad that we didn't just get to go with him. <laughs> right? The, you know, Jesus ascended. He sits at the right hand. It, it would have been kind of cool just to, to go with him. But, the, but then we wouldn't be going. Because just the first generation would have gone. And there wouldn't have been nobody left here on earth to proclaim the good news. To do what we've been called to do. To shine a light brightly in this dark world. And we can sit here today and proclaim the goodness of Christ because for 2,000 years, somebody has shared the good news. So God's plan is perfect. We didn't get to go with Him. And that's a good thing. His desire is that none would perish. So you and I here have a commission to reach into the world. He says they are in the world, but we are reminded that we are to be in the world and not of the world. That your life, that my life as we follow Christ is to look different than the rest of the world. It's kind of like the idea of a ship. A ship. A ship in the water is a good thing. Water in the ship is not a good thing. Right? A ship in the water, good. Water in the ship, mm, not so good. Same is true of a Christian. We are to be in the world, but the world is not to be in us. In the world, but not of us, of the world. So does that mean, did Jesus want us to live in a monastery and just hang out and wait till he came back? You and I were to live in our Christian bubble and just to sit back and let the world go to hell in a handbasket and we'll just wait until Jesus comes? No. That's hiding your light under a bushel. And Matthew chapter 5 talks about that. That's not what we're called to do. We're called to go into the world. We're called to shine brightly for Him that the world may come to know Him. So then the question is, is it okay to have sinners for friends? Yes! I highly recommend it. Because all have sinned and fall short of the glory. Ain't none of us here not a sinner. Jesus was a friend of sinners. We are to be as well. Jesus would rather hang out with the tax collectors and the prostitutes than those who called themselves religious. Does your life look like that? It's okay to have sinners as friends. I would recommend it. <laughs> know your neighbors. Know your coworkers. Be their friends. But live not of this world. Live differently. Live a holy life so that when their world crashes, and it will, they can see something different. They can see how you've reacted when your world crashes, and they'll know they've got something different. Let me go talk with them. Be their friends. Love whom God has placed in your life. They are not projects. They're people. Love them like Jesus did. Jesus says, I'm no longer in the world, but these are. May we be in the world, shining brightly for him. Our last verse for today. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. 
Jesus is the shield about us. He is our front and rear guard. And going back to the idea of the exodus, he says, I've kept them in your name. Jesus is the one that keeps us there. Except he mentions Judas, the son of perdition. Interesting, the same name is given to Antichrist. He was lost. Well, truly, he was never found. But for a purpose, in order that Scripture might be fulfilled. As I said, all of the Old Testament prophecies concerning Messiah, including the son of perdition, have been fulfilled. The work is finished. A lot of different thoughts in this message today. What I want us to take home is that our Lord, our Savior, is praying for us. How wonderful that is. And as we walk in this world, and as we carry the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, part of our lives should be prayer in the model that Christ has given us. Let people see you pray. Teach people to glorify the Father and love the way that he is loved. And that brings us to the table. The invitation is for those who have bowed their knees, who have confessed with their mouths that he is Lord. Jesus invites us to come as we are, to do these things in remembrance of him. And so we want to set aside our distractions for a moment and and come to the table in worship. We don't need to be thinking about dance recitals or Myrtle Beach or, those are my distractions, or whatever your distractions are. Remember that even in this moment, he's praying for us. Let's talk to our dad. The hymn Deb played while we were receiving the elements. Sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer that calls me from a world of care and bids me at my Father's throne make all my wants and wishes known. In seasons of distress and grief, my soul has often found relief and oft escaped the tempter's snare by thy return, sweet hour of prayer. And then verse 4, sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer, may I thy consolation share till from Mount Pisgah's lofty height I view my home And take my flight, this robe of flesh I'll drop and rise to seize the everlasting prize and shout while passing through the air, farewell, farewell, sweet hour of prayer. May we be found faithful until we see him again face to face. Shine brightly, church, shine brightly. Love you guys. Have a good week. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Church 860 podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed it. If you have, we ask that you would like and subscribe to the podcast so that you can get daily updates. If you'd like to know more about Church 860, please visit church860.com. Thank you. God bless.